Hey guys, and welcome to the Mixtape Podcast, a podcast dedicated to deconstructing films that we, and hopefully you, love from a screenplay writer's perspective. I will be your host, Dean Stark, and I am joined by the wonderful, the magical, the sometimes illogical Marcelo Inostroza. Now, today on the show, we are reviewing 2003's Final Destination 2. There are currently five Final Destination movies out. Out of all of the Final Destinations, why did you pick two? Because two really gave me a fear of being in a car on a freeway driving behind a truck with giant logs on it. (laughs) That is the only reason, that is the only base reason why I picked two. But as I was watching this film in preparation for this conversation, I was like, why the fuck don't they make movies like this anymore? Because this movie is so intricate, so well-planned, and is so well-written. And guess what? It's fun. It is fun. Mm. Above all. And like we've said many times on this podcast, they don't make movies like this anymore. No, they don't, because the Final Destination movies progressively get worse and worse and worse. Although my personal favorite out of the five films is three. Um, so I think one, two, and three are solid. Four and five is just like, you're just making it just to make it, aren't you? <laughs> you're just making it just to make it, just to make money, because that's the way it seems. Not that I don't like them, but I don't feel like they have any grit, like kind of the the first two movies do. So Final Destination 2, 2003, directed by David R. Ellis. After Kimberly has a premonition of a horrific accident, she rushes to save the lives of the people involved. However, one by one, the survivors start dying and she realizes that her life is also at risk. Now, if you've never seen any of the Final Destination movies, you will not know what the, even me reading that, you'll be like, I don't even understand what it is. So I would say, Stop the podcast. Go and watch the first Final Destination because that that lays all the groundwork for you. And then come back, listen to this, or watch the second movie, and then and then listen to this. I love this movie. I adore this movie. Let's start opening scene. I really love the opening scene of this movie because there's a TV play, an old school box TV with a fucking VCR on the top, so you can see it is from 2003. The TV is playing. There's a news anchor. Um, basically explaining what happened in the first film with Flight 180. Um, It's exposition, but I think it works because you've got the main character, Kimberly, and we don't really see her yet. She's sleeping. There's the TV glow in the room. And the news anchor basically recaps the first film saying everyone who survived um, died. So everyone who got off the plane died. um, And so what I wanted to ask you, what do you think of the opening scene of of the exposition? Do you think it's the Do you think it's good exposition, or do you think uh, they could have done it a bit better? No, I think it's good exposition because it's subtle exposition. It's in the background. It's while the credits are playing, and like you, I just lost my shit when I saw the the, the old boxy TV and the VHS player on top of it. I, and when the power went out, the TV still worked. I was like. Yeah, that's how we did it in the night. I was like, yeah, that's how we did it in the nineties, son. Hell yeah. I was like, oh <laughs> hell, yeah. hell yeah. But you know, you know, but again, I you know, but again, I thought this exposition was well placed. It was in the background, it wasn't in our face, 
And it was catching up the audience members who may have sort of been so, sort of been uh, sort of been you know sort of walked into this movie without seeing the first movie. It, it sort of gave you a nice summary of what the franchise is about. Yeah, exactly. So we're still on the TV and the anchor starts interviewing a man speaking about how you can't cheat death and how the people that actually got off the off flight 180, they were actually meant to die. Um, and then we, we get introduced to Kimberly, which is our main protagonist. She's sleeping, she wakes up um, and she looks at the TV. And as she looks at the TV, the man says, the only way to survive is to look beneath the visible world because in the end, no one can escape death. And I love that because it's just like, oh, even if you haven't seen the first movie, you're like, okay, what is this movie about? But I loved it because it talked about the first film um, and what happened, a recap. And then it talked about death's design and how like, if you're meant to die, you're going to die. So like, that was all said literally within the first five minutes of the movie. And I thought that that was just such a clever exposition, but exposition that actually worked. So in the first scene, we see Kimberly. She's 20 something. She's going on a road trip in her nice red car um, with her friends. She's going to pick up the boys. Um, she's telling her dad goodbye, you know, be careful. Her dad's telling her sort of to be careful. And then scene two, we're in the car. Um, and there's two boys in the back. One of them's kind of smoking pot. They're both kind of dipshits. There's a blo her blonde girl, uh, girlfriend is sitting next to her. She's driving. Um, and I don't, I don't look, I don't love her friends. <laughs> so spoiler alert when they die, I don't care. Um, do you think that her friends should have had more personality to get attached to them or do you think how they were sort of fleshed out which was not really was that okay for you no it was okay for me because this was the inciting incident in in the film and as writers we are taught to get to uh, we as writers we are taught to get to the inciting incident of our script as quickly and as clearly as possible as quickly and as clearly as we possibly can and I really like the way that this was handled because although these guys, although these, her friends were, you know, cannon fodder, I still cared about them. I don't know. I don't know. What, I, don't, I don't know if it was the nineties clothes, the guy smoking weed or the, or the girl uh, who, who goes past the car in the, in the Harley motorcycle, well, in the Harley motorcycle, but I still cared about them. And for me to care about essentially cannon fodder, that's saying a lot about the filmmaking of the movie, but I think that this incident had to happen to make us uh, to make us attached to the main character of the film, who we are going to be following for most of it. Yeah, no, I I did feel bad for her friends, considering they had no character development. I did like I think because they were they weren't assholes; they were just friends. They weren't made out to be like, oh yeah, you're dead. Anyway, so. Um, Kimberly's driving, they're about to turn onto the highway. And as they're about to turn onto the highway, a woman, an old woman, like she looks homeless. She's got a bag of cans. She kind of comes up to the window, the cans fall everywhere. Uh, and then she turns onto the highway and she passes a school bus. Uh, and the kids on the school bus are chanting, pile up, pile up, pile up. And she's like, mm, okay. She turns the radio on and they're talking about th today's the anniversary of flight 180, which is from 
the original Final Destination. She changes the radio channel and Highway to Hell is playing by ACDC. Yes. I know. (laughs) That's like the perfect fucking song. Um, So this is when we get introduced to all the characters that are going to be in the movie. And I love the introduction because it's short, it's sweet, and you don't actually realize that that the direct the director is introducing the characters because we just see little bits, but we know everything about them in about two seconds. We see a blonde guy in a muscle car, and you're kind of like he looks. He just looks like a dick. Like he looks like a dick. He he's speeding. He just looks like, and you're like, okay, so that says everything about his. And that's right. Like that's that's who his character is. Anyway, so we see him. And after we see him, we see the truck, the Mack truck, uh, with the tree logs piled on the back, tied with a chain to hold them in place. And it drives past Kimberly. If you're watching this movie for the first time, you'll think, oh, it's just a truck with logs. But listen, this truck with logs is like one of the most common horror th- memes on the internet. Anybody, anybody <laughs> that posts like, oh my God, I was sitting behind like a Mack truck and it had logs on it, instantly Final Destination 2. Honestly, out of all the Final Destinations, this is the <laughs> this is the scene <laughs> that everybody remembers out of any fucking movie and it's just hilarious. So anyway, after the truck goes by and seemingly, hmm, who cares, it's just a truck, we're introduced to Kat and she wears a suit and she's smoking in the car and she just looks up herself. Basically, she looks rich, she looks up herself. That's the introduction to her. You know everything about her in literally two seconds. And then we cross to a pregnant woman in a white van and then we cross to um, Kim is looking out, Kimberly is looking out her side window to see a kid. I love this, to see a kid playing with a red truck and a Mack truck and he's like banging them together and she's sort of like oh that car because the car the red car that he has like looks like her car but she's like oh yeah okay whatever um and then she looks out the window again and we see like a scruffy guy with the top down and he like starts snorting cocaine and you're like okay this guy's a dipshit again everything you need to know about the character then we see a guy on a motorcycle and then we see a mother Um, driving with her teenage son in the passenger seat and then we see finally the cop and for some reason he's got hot coffee in a cup holder like with no lid oh i wonder what's gonna happen with that i don't know and i'm like what like why nobody like like listen i know this movie is like a fantasy but like again nobody does especially a cop like nobody does that but anyway so that whole scene is only a few minutes. It took me about 10 minutes to fucking describe, but it's literally like two minutes. And I think that the way the director introduced everyone, so you've introduced all the characters, you've set up the movie, you've set up what the premise is all within the first 10 minutes. Is this great or is this fucking great? Yes, this is this is screenplay writing 101. And the great thing about this is that the writer and the director of this film did all of that without... Are without uh, without our cast of characters saying a single fucking word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was, is why it's it, great. It, it it was it was it was economical, smart, intelligent screenplay writing to the max. Yes. So the next scene is the big scene. This is this is the inciting incident, which is oh, just so great. 
So we're following the Mack truck from behind, all these fucking heavy tree logs, and then the chain breaks on the Mack truck, causing the logs, these very heavy, big logs, to fall onto the freeway. The the first log, what 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 it does to one of these people is just genius. But I'll let Dean get to that because we're we're about seconds away from that happening. But okay. when I saw that, I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> so the chain breaks and the logs fall. And the okay, the first one to go is the cop. And the log goes straight into the fucking windscreen of the car, straight through to the back, and he's fu- and you see all this blood, like he's fucking just his head's off. Like he's fucking just gone. Is that the one? Yeah, he's impaled, yep. That's the one. Oh yeah. That's I think that's the best one. The other ones were like okay, but that's you're like, oh what? Um and then uh, straight through windscreen of the cop. Yep. So the motorcycle guy falls and he gets crushed, dead. The the cocaine guy, f- the car flips, the truck plows into him, dead. The rich girl's car flips, dead. The mother and son car crash explodes, dead. Um, the blonde guy in the muscle car, car crash, dead. He kind of hits a propane tank. Um, Kimberly's car flips uh, and a truck uh, almost plows into into them um, when we come back to just before she turns onto the highway. And, and at that time, if you, if you don't know what these movies are, you're like, Oh my God, that was a premonition. And she's, she's literally like just about to turn onto the highway and you can see her visibly freaking the fuck out. She's like, Oh my God. And her friends are like, what is going on? And then, there's a there's a bang on the window and it's the woman with the cans, the old homeless woman with the cans, and then she drops the cans and then Kimberly starts freaking out because we've seen this in her premonition. And then she sees the school bus go by chanting, pile up, pile up, pile up. And so she's freaking out and she's like, there's going to be an accident, there's going to be an accident. And then she turns on the radio and the radio anniversary of flight 180 and then she goes highway to hell and she presses the button to change the radio station and highway to hell is playing and so her friend is like what the fuck and so she starts Kimberly starts freaking out even more so what she does is she positions her car to basically block everyone behind her because she's the first cab off the rank um, from entering the highway and every single person every single car that's behind her is who we've been introduced to so they are obviously not going to be not going to be on the highway. Um, so the cop basically, you know, gets out of the car. He approaches. He basically says, "What's going on?" And she says, "There's going to be a pileup. There's going to be a huge crash." Um, and then she sees the Mack truck with the logs go past her, and she's like, "That's it. That's that's what's going to like fucking cause the accident." And then, like two seconds later, it happens. They see and hear a huge pileup, explosions everywhere, cars flying in the distance, and then another Mack truck kind of is trying to like um, uh, like put the brakes on and swerves, and then plows into Kimberly's car. Um, but because she's out of the car talking to the cop, the cop pulls her out of the way, but the truck hits her car with her friends in it and her friends all die. So oh, tell I love that. me, <laughs> yeah, go for it. Just, fucking go fucking, for it. Tell fucking me. Fucking <laughs> All right. <laughs> fucking okay. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Well, the thing that I love about this scene is the way, is the way that it's structured because as an audience member, we are not told anything. We are just shown events but 
when we find out that they're premonitions, I thought that was a, I, I thought that is a very very unique storytelling trope of the Final Destination of the Final Destination franchise. And if you're not used to these movies, that's a giant surprise. It's it's like a it's like an intentional rewind button. Right. So all throughout. So so all throughout the course of the movie, essentially, you're going to see our main characters fucking with fate or fucking with death. And I love how every time that our main characters try to fuck with death, death tries to death tries to recorrect itself and tries to kill the the people that are, are next on the list in other ways when 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 people intervene or when our main characters intervene. So I found that to be very interesting. Um, also, also, I really specifically to the scene on the highway, I really love that our main character in this story freaks the fuck out and mm. tells the cop that something is about to happen because now in film, when people freak the fuck out in, in, in film today, in our film climate, Characters don't listen to one another in films these days. When somebody goes crazy, they just assume you're nuts and they mm. want to haul you away and 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 lock you up somewhere, right? They just think yep. you're nuts. So I really love the fact that this cop, after seeing what happens, li- listens to our main character in the film and essentially follows her and essentially yeah. follows her lead. I really love that about this movie. Yeah, it's so frustrating in movies where someone says something and everybody goes, oh, you're crazy. And I'm like, oh, can we not just have someone that, like, believes this character? That's so frustrating. Um, so, also, yeah, you're right. It was good. It was good that the cop believed her. I, 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 lo- <laughs> I loved that people actually listen to this main character and they respect this main character. Uh, so the next scene, we're at the police station. Um, I, I only have one issue with this scene. Why is everyone at the police station? Do they? Why are they there? Like, I understand why she's there. Why is everybody else there? They have nothing to do with anything. They're just sitting in their cars waiting. So why are they there? My my assumption is the highway cop uh, uh, convinced everybody who was involved to go to the police station to try and sort this out. But there, but but here's another thing I don't understand. This cop is a standard patrolman, so why does he have so much power? Like, like oh, that's the, right. The, the the power structure is is never shown in this movie. Like, like, like we like we never get to meet his boss. It's always him. Um, maybe because he was there and he witnessed it, so they kind of gave him leave to to kind of interview people. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Right. And we kind also, of do meet his boss because there are two other cops in the station watching behind the glass. So I would assume though that those are the bosses, right? Right. But there's right. no much, you know. I, I don't. I don't think we needed the boss of him. But I, I do understand what you're saying. I just, I don't know why they're like. If I'm sitting in my car and they're like, "Go to the police station," I'm like, "What for?" I didn't. I did, had. I have nothing to do with anything. <laughs> so anyway, right, I thought right, that was right. weird. So anyway, Kimberly starts saying that she had a premonition just like the guy did about the airplane, Flight 180, before it blew up. The motorcycle guy basically starts explaining what happened, how the survivors of the plane crash all started to die mysteriously one by one. But he doesn't believe it. He thinks it's bullshit. He's like, yeah, this is bullshit. Um, So the policeman says, but there's one survivor, Clear Rivers, 
and she's in a padded room in an institution. So it's interesting because when Kimberly says she has a premonition like the guy on the airplane, it's in the first movie, Alex, played by Devin Sauer. I think that's how you say his last name. They didn't believe him. They were like, okay, you're crazy. You must have had something to do with the – like they, they were acting like like actual what cops would fucking do. But in this movie, like you said, like he actually – the cops actually like believe her. So I just – I know that you said that you like that, but and I do like that, but it was just a bit like would a cop like believe her straight away? No, I, you know, I, I think the reason why the cop believed her is because he saw the accident happen on the, on the freeway. If he didn't see the accident happen on the freeway, I don't think that he would have believed her. Yeah. Um, no, that's true. That's true. That's true. I agree with you. Okay. Next scene, the, the, what is it? Oh, okay. So this is the first death. This is the first cab off the rank, the first death. It's the blonde guy in the muscle car. And I've watched this movie so many times. And there's one thing that I never noticed that I picked up this time. So he he's walking in his hallway and he's carrying all this, this shit with him. And his hallway, I don't know why, like not the hallway in his apartment, the hallway in like the building he lives in. And it's got all these kids toys everywhere. I don't, I don't know. Like I've lived in apartment buildings my whole life. Nobody leaves their shit like in the fucking like <laughs> the, the the zone of where everybody fucking walks. But the director did a really beautiful shot because when the shot, the first shot of the hallway, it actually, there was a close up of a baby doll and an ambulance behind it. Did you see that? Because that's like the last scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got it. And I didn't like, I didn't yeah, fucking. I, I picked it up. I didn't pick that up at all. Like the first thousand times I've fucking seen this movie. And I was like, oh, that's the, and he does that through the movie. He puts little clues in the movie that if you know the franchise and you know what's going on, you pick it up. I loved it. So anyway, the muscle guy enters his apartment and it's fucking typical fucking guy place. It's dirty. It's disgusting. I mean, he picks up a pan that's got spaghetti in it and he throws it out the window. I don't know anybody that cooks spaghetti in a pan. Maybe guys do that. I don't know, but that was just a bit weird to me. So anyway, there's a point I'm bringing the frying pan up when he fucking throws the spaghetti out the window. Um, So on the side of the fridge, there is kids letter magnets and it says, Hey E, because I think his name's Evan. Hey E. And you're like, oh, okay, and maybe you don't think anything of it. Um, but he takes, like, this this Chinese thing that looks fucking like a week old out of the fridge and he, and he takes, like, frozen fish and he puts the pan on the fucking, the, like, the, the stove and then he empties, empty, I don't know anybody that takes a box out of the freezer and empties the box, the contents of the box into a pan. Oh, I don't even know if you can cook those things. Yeah, like, d- yeah, I'm pr- – there. I don't know. I don't even know if you can cook them like that. I mean, no, he put no, no, no oil or no, anything. I, no, <laughs> I'm pretty I mean, sure you bake you know, them. You know, you know, I mean, you can cook it, but why not put it like, why not put it in a, uh, in a microwave? Like why put it yeah. in a pan? I don't know. Because he's a guy. Because, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a guy. And here's the other thing. Look, I, you know, I can't cook for shit, but even I know before putting anything into a pan, you have to put some, you know, something. So, Whatever you put in there doesn't stick, so why the fuck didn't you put the oil in? And some people might be saying, well, you know there are non-stick pans. Not in 2003 there wasn't. No. <laughs> so let me just fucking put that shit out there. So anyway, um, 
his little his little Chinese one week old box is directly under the magnet letters on the side of the fridge. One of the letters falls off into the Chinese thing, the H. So now all you see on the side of the fridge is I. And so that's a little tidbit about what's coming up. And I love that. I love that the director did that. So then he puts the noodles in the microwave. So he does fucking put something in the microwave. So he puts it in the microwave, but it's got this magnet in it and that's not going to go well. Let's move on. (laughs) So he puts the, puts the, he puts a ring on. And then for some reason he's fiddling with it over the sink and the, his very expensive ring falls into like the garbage disposal. Fun fact in Australia, we don't have garbage disposals. <laughs> Do you have one? Uh, no, but I, no, I, I've actually, I actually had a garbage disposal one time in my life and I've had this overwhelming fear of getting my hands stuck in the garbage disposal. So, <laughs> the, you know, the first time I saw this movie, I was terrified. And I was like, he's going to get his hand taken off because it's down to garbage disposal. But the great thing that this movie does, I mean, not to not to, not to to take us away from Dean's beautiful description of the scenes here as we go. But the beautiful thing that the director does is he directs this film in such a way that everything that happens makes you believe that the main character is going to die one way. But every mm. possible way that you can think that they're going to die isn't the way that they actually die. Yeah, so I love that. I I really, really ap- appreciate that because that tells me that the writer and the director, uh, the, the writers and the, and the director of this film really, really put time and thought into that mm-hmm. and really wanted to keep the audience on the edge of their seat for as long as they could. Mm-hmm. And yeah. nowadays, horror nowadays horror movies don't do that. Oh, let, or, no, or, that's a separate know, discussion. Or, or, <laughs> that's a separate, know, or, very fucking long or, discussion. Or or, or 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 I'll just say I'll just say thriller movies don't do that. But on you go. Yeah, true. All right. So um, he puts his hand in the garbage disposal trying to find this ring, and he gets his hand gets stuck. And so, like Marcelo said, oh no, you think like you know his hand's about to get fucking turboed off um and then the microwave starts sparking because of course it's got the magnet in it in the food and he's like oh fuck but he can't get to the microwave because his hand is stuck in the garbage disposal and then the pan with the fish um basically bursts into flames and he's like fuck and he can't reach that either because his hand's in the fucking garbage disposal and so he grabs a towel he grabs a towel and he tries to put the um, pan the fire out, but all he does is knock it onto the floor and it starts an even bigger fire. And he's still trapped, his hand's still in the thing. Um, and then the windows start closing on their own. And if you've watched the first movie, that's kind of how it happens. Like if death is coming after you, death will do everything in its power to to block you off from any escape route because, you know, you have to die. Death's in charge. So anyway, the windows start closing on their own and he um the he there's a fire escape and can i just say something about fire escapes we don't have those in australia but i love them so much (laughs) because i see them in movies all the time and i'm like i want a fire escape but anyway i'm just i'm just getting all weird about fire escapes so anyway um they fire escapes are 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 life-saving but they are very 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 unsteady so you have to be very careful when you climb or go up a fire escape as we'll soon see. 
So anyway, um, he gets his hand out and obviously his place is on fire. So it's like, well, what the fuck? So he smashes the window. He climbs out of the window, climbs down the fire escape and the ladder won't like drop. So he's trying to like push the ladder down so he can get down to the street. And then it finally goes down like a little bit, but it causes him to, to fall on the ground. So he falls on his feet and he's like, oh, fuck. And then he takes a step and he slips on the spaghetti that he threw out the window before. Um, and he's like, oh, my God. So he's looking up at the ladder and he's like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky. And then the ladder sort of, I don't know, unclips itself and falls. And he's, he gets he's, basically his eye gets impaled uh, by the ladder and that is the end of him. Did you like that death scene? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was very quick. And, you know, again, again, it was very, very, it was very, very misleading because essentially when he first gets to the ground, he slips on, on, on something on the ground, the letter, the letter goes down, it stops. And then you think, Oh, okay, this is not how he's going to die. And then a second later he gets impaled. So again, even, even, at the very last second, the writer and the director are working to keep you on your toes as an audience member, and I just love that. Yeah, um, I remember seeing that in the cinema, and I was like, oh, that is so cool. <laughs> but one thing I wanted to mention about that scene, I love whatever song that is that they used for that entire – like as soon as he walks into the apartment, there's a song. He turns on this radio. Like I don't know – do you know what that song is? But it's, I think it goes perfectly with the scene. No, what song? No, what song was that? I, I didn't. I don't know. It's like I a. At I first, you think song. it's like maybe I don't know, like a house song, but then it turns into like a metal song, and then back to house. I don't know, but whoever yeah. whoever did that, yeah, I don't know I, if they made I, that song for the movie. I should have shazammed it to be perfectly honest, know. but I was I too into the movie. Anyway, the next know. scene we cut to the policeman, and he's doing my favorite thing: researching. He's researching Kimberly's piqued his interests and his research madly researching flight 180 so from the first movie again if you haven't seen the first movie go watch it please it's amazing um so now upon his research we find out what happened to alex so alex was the main protagonist as i said before from final destination movie and you kind of you're watching the movie thinking why isn't he in it like why where the fuck is alex because in the first movie he didn't die uh, with clear he didn't die so like where the fuck is he and we find out and this was i remember watching this in the cinema and i was just like what wh why why would i mean his death was so fucking stupid he got killed by a falling brick out of every single fucking death in the final destination thing the protagonist of the first movie gets killed by a falling fucking brick like did, did the director just not fucking like him? How can we kill him in the most stupid way possible? Yeah, like Brick falls and kills him. That's a good one. I, I was so fucking disappointed. Yeah, um, that shit there was some bullshit. That, 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 that shit there <laughs> was, was some fucking bullshit. Some even, bullshit. Even, even, even I are going, really? You're going to kill your protagonist of the first film, who was awesome, by the way, as Dean keeps saying, like that? Mm. At least, mm. at least make them go out as a hero. Um, next scene, uh, the survivors of uh, the, the pileup, they're all watching TV in their own houses, apartments, whatever, and on the TV is a, um, a news story about the, the blonde guy in the muscle car, how he is now 
dead and he was impaled by a fire escape ladder and they're all watching TV going, oh. And I think this is when they go, they don't actually, like, believe it, but it's just a bit like fucking, oh, shit, he's dead. No, but I think, you know what, I think this is when it really starts clicking with our main mm. character of the film. Her name is Kimberly, right? Because I don't want to keep calling her. Kimberly, you know, yeah, yeah. Kimberly, right? I think yep. this is where it really clicks in with her that this is a problem and I'm going to deal with this problem. And when she starts to do, you know, research, you know, I, I just, I just thought, you know, I love this girl. And why do I love this girl? Because of you. I'm like, God <laughs> yeah. damn it. This woman is so smart because guess what? Guess what? In, 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 a, in a lot of films that, you know, you know, you know, in a lot of films, uh, main characters get, get, get led to find out the things that they need to find out to survive or to get to the goal that they want to get to. And there is very few writers that say, okay, my character is going to be smart and everything that my character needs to know, they're going to find out by themselves. And I'm going to do it in an organic way. And the writer of this film mm-hmm. went to that school. He's like, I'm going to make this character as smart as I possibly can. And I'm going to make her and I'm going to make her figure out the way that death works organically. Mm-hmm. And it just worked. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Because the next scene, like you said, is Kimberly doing research and she's researching um, because the cop in the previous scene at the cop state at the police station said that there was one survivor. And so just by him saying that she's gone, Wait a minute. Well, who survived? So she's done research and she's find that she's found that Clear Rivers um, is in Stony Brook Institution. So what does she do? She goes. I'm going to go to Stony Brook Institution. So um, she goes there, and Clear Rivers is basically in a padded room. She's in a padded room, and as Clear as Clear as Kimberly goes to walk in, she's walking with a nurse, and the nurse says, "I have to take everything from you that could be." potentially like a fucking weapon. So her belt, a pen, her phone, everything. The only thing she's left with is basically the clothes on her back. Like that's it. So anyway, she walks in and we see clear total padded room. And you're just like, Oh my God, like, why would you want to live like that? But she's there because if she go, if she leaves, she's going to, death is going to get her. Like this is the only place that death can't get her. And then we find out she's voluntary. So she can leave it anytime she wants. So anyway, uh, Kimberly starts talking to her about the premonition she has and, you know, she's come to her because she needs, you know, guidance and, like, what should she do? And so, you know, Clear starts saying the survivors of Flight 180 died in the exact order they were meant to die if they had been on the flight. Um, but then what's her face? Um But then Kimberly starts saying, well, no, because in my vision, this person, this person, this person died. But in real life, like Evan, which was, which is the blonde muscle guy, he died. But in her vision, he died last. So why is he dying first? And then Claire says, hmm. And so she realizes death is actually working backwards this time. So it's going from last to first. And so Kimberly says, well, wait a minute. I was actually the last one to die. So why didn't I die before the guy in the muscle car? And so she realizes, oh, 
the cop intervened. The cop pulled her out of the way before she was supposed to die. And now Kimberly is actually the last person who's going to die. So we know she's going to survive right into the end. Uh, but Claire won't help. She's like, fuck you. I'm not helping. If I leave this place, I'm going to die. Like, this is not my fight. I'm not doing anything. Um, but what she does say to Kimberly is there will be signs before a death and you need to look out for the signs which, you know, I'm a sign person. I'm a sign and synchronicity person. That's why, partly why I love this movie. But um, what did you think about the the um, scene with Clear Rivers and Kimberly? Do you think Clear was too harsh? Do you think she should have gone? Do you think she should have helped more? Do you think she was being a bit of a bitch? What did you think? No, I, you know, you know, I really like the way how she sort of shut herself out of reality because that's the only way that she could survive. Also, I really like how she sort of unraveled the way that death works for Kimberly and explained how death is working the way it is and how every action that they take causes death to make a to 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 make a slight calculation to its plans and to go down another route and to skip a person or to, or or to go to this person because 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 you did this and because you did this this person's going to die now like this. So I really like uh how death has to has to con- has to constantly recalculate in this movie. Also, I am just look, I swear to you I'm not going I'm just going to say one thing. I love how Kimberly respects this person. How she hmm. goes to her and she respects her. And when she eventually gets the courage to come out of her padded cell and try and help our main characters in this film, they listen to her. They don't mm-hmm. think that she's crazy and mm-hmm. they don't disrespect her. So uh, the next scene, Kimberly is talking to the policeman and she's basically telling her, telling her, telling him everything that happened uh, with Clea. And then. There's like a, they're standing outside of a house and, and in the reflection of a glass window, she sees a flock of birds flying towards her and she's kind of ducks, but she turns around and she's like, fuck, like there's no birds there. And then she realizes, look for the signs, look for the signs. Cause she this is, has had visions before. And so this is another vision. Yep. This actually might be my favorite death in the movie. Although <laughs> really, it's really unpractical, but go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So it's super, like I said, illogical at the beginning. (laughs) This death is the most illogical. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, totally. See, I was right. Yeah, but go Um, ahead, go ahead. So she works, I don't know how, but she works out that the mother and son are next. Um, Oh, because it's working backwards. Right, right, right. So that makes sense. So anyway, the next scene is Clea decides to leave the institution. So she's left. And the next scene is your favorite death scene. We're at the dentist with the mother and the son. So the son is a 15-year-old blonde boy um, and they're sitting in the waiting room. So the son goes into the room and outside the room, uh, there's huge windows overlooking like construction. And what the construction outside, they're actually moving like huge panes of, of glass. Um, and now there's a fish tank in the waiting room that, that starts to leak onto an outlet, but nothing happens yet, but it starts to leak. And then pigeons start hitting the window of the dentist, like where he's sitting in the chair. And I, I, and I'm like, I don't know if they would do that, but it's, this is a fantasy movie. <laughs> but anyway, pigeons start hitting the window. Um, and then 
the dentist, I don't know, the dentist leaves the room. So this, so this boy is under gas, right? So first of all, he tries to give him the needle and the, the birds keep hitting the window. And so he's like, okay, do you want the gas instead? And he's like, yes, I'll give him the gas. P.S. Every time I've gone to the dentist, I've asked for the gas and they say, no, you're getting the needle. So fuck you to my dentist. I've always mm-hmm. wanted the gas and they never fucking give it. They give me the fucking needle. Anyway, that's just a little irritation. Yeah, yeah, also, <laughs> that's a little also, trigger. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Also, I just want to say something really quickly. Of mm-hmm. all the, of, of all the, uh, because guys, a little thing about me really quickly. I'm terrified of going to the doctor or anything like that. I have to be near death for me to go to the doctor or the dentist. So... When I saw the scene, I was having like PTSD. Like I couldn't, <laughs> like I I could not like seriously. I could not watch this because because first of all, this dentist guy is the most inattentive dentist ever. He oh leaves God, yeah. his patient. He mm. leaves his patient in like clamps with the with the anesthesia thing, not even properly over his mouth, but over his nose. What the hell are you doing? Yeah, he's, he's so the clamps are like holding his mouth open, and above him, there's like these little, they're like oh children's plastic toys, like I guess for kids to look at. And what yeah. in my dentist, they've got they've got like a beachy scene, and I'm like, oh, that's nice, which is better. I don't want little, I don't want things flying above my head. I don't know. So anyway, the dentist leaves him by himself, which Ugh. wouldn't happen because let me tell you, dentists always have an assistant. There is an, it's never just a fucking dentist. It's a dentist and an assistant because that's just how it is. So when he leaves, there's like nobody in the room. So this kid is like about to pass out because he hasn't properly fucking dosed him. And one of the kid's toys drops into his mouth. Now his mouth is clamped open. So this thing is like, he can't breathe. He's gasping, gasping for air. And like Marcelo mentioned before, this movie does a really good job of making you think that this one person is going to die one way, but they actually die another. So this is just another like example of that. So anyway, just as just as he's about to pass out, the receptionist comes in and pulls the toy out of his mouth. And she's like, oh my God. And the doctor comes in, are you okay? And I'm like, oh my God, never go back to that fucking dentist again. So the mother and the son leave the dentist. And as they're walking out, Kimberly comes up with the cop and starts yelling at them which is probably not the right thing to do. There's a flock of pigeons. There's like maybe like 50 pigeons in front of them with the construction site. And listen, you have to you, you have to tell me because I'm not sure. Would a 15-year-old boy go, oh, my God, there's pigeons. Let's run into them. Is that a thing that a 15-year-old would, would do or I don't know? Probably not, but we do have to take into account that he just came out of the dentist and he is. So he might be high. He might be a bit high. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. He might be a little bit high, but the way that he dies is so impractical. It is so fucking illogical. So anyway, he he runs into the flock of pigeons. Yeah, yeah. He runs into the flock of pigeons and the construction that are moving these giant panes of glass, The I think because he runs into it, it flutters the pigeons and it, it... the guy, the guy that's like moving the pane of glass kind of gets pushed back and he gets pushed into one of the things, buttons or lever or whatever, which causes the crane to drop the the pane of glass onto the boy, basically crushing him um, until he's just like a pile of like intestines. That's basically how he dies, which is so illogical and impractical. Yeah, so I just illogical. can't even believe it. 
I can't even. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like, like, no, like, if you wanted to do that logically, you could have, right? Have the have the pane of glass land on his fucking head, and 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 basically, you know, you know, you know, uh, stab his head like a watermelon. That'd be great. But but oh, that'd be good. Yeah, but (laughs) but the but the way they do it is like the pane of glass flattens him out like a pancake, and I'm like, glass doesn't work that way. I mean, no, it doesn't. But it is it is falling from like ten stories up, and you know that what they true. say, like you know what they say, like if you're on the top of a building and you drop a penny and it drops on someone's head, like it could kill them just by the force of like how fast it's traveling. Right. right so right, so right, look, whether true, whether a glass pane traveling from like ten stories up would do that to him, I'm not sure. It might have just crushed his skull. But I find it funny that it, the glass didn't even shatter. That's fucking. That must be bulletproof That's glass. Ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, yeah. but it's a it's a great it's a great death. So yeah, moving on, um, Clear shows up, and my first question is: Wouldn't she die like the minute she stepped out of the institution? Wouldn't death go? Oh, she's out. Let's get the bitch. Like, wouldn't she die? No, um, I would. I would say that in this movie, death is a fickle bitch. And death makes you work for it. <laughs> it just makes you work for it. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, so she basically says, come with me. I have, you know, I want you to meet someone. And they come go to a mortuary. Me, sorry, sorry. Come with me, little one. So yeah, they go yeah, to a mortuary. I'm sorry. To visit someone called William, who is played by the iconic Tony oh, Todd, yes. which if you oh, if you yes. don't know who he is, he is the Candyman, the original Candyman. He is fucking iconic. He's a cult figure in the horror world. We love Tony Todd, and he's also oh, in yes. the first one as well. Love so they basically ask, and he's such a fun character because he just he enjoys death. He loves it. He does not give two shits. Like he he's he embraces it. He's all about it. He's just fucking creepy. I, I love his character. So basically, they're asking him, "How do you beat death? Like, how do you beat the design of death?" And he says, "Only new life can defeat death. An introduction of life that was not meant to be might uh, might take you off of death's list. Follow the signs." And so I like that scene. It was short. It was sweet. But we got the information we needed. And we got it from, like, a character we previously have seen in the first movie. So we know he knows. So anybody that's in the first movie goes, oh, okay, yep. So it totally makes sense. And it pushes the narrative in the direction that it needs to go. Anything to say about that scene? I love that scene, by the way. Yeah. I mean, hey, if if you're going to do necessary exposition, why not get a horror icon like you know, uh, the candy man to deliver your exposition. He is such a good character actor. And I really like the fact that he is a mortician and he is, he is basically like, 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 like putting a body into a, into a, uh, in, you know, uh, an oven to, uh, to cremate it. I really, really like it. I like how, uh, you know, this particular set isn't particularly clean very well. It's like a basement that like Frankenstein would make or something. Right. Oh, it's totally not clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it looks like a. It's it gross. Looks like a, it looks like a like a makeshift morgue or something. So yeah, yeah it's it, like in a cave or something. I don't know. I thought it was. I mean, obviously that would never happen, but it's no, of course it, not. You know, no. it's for the movie. It's you know, it's it's doable. No, I, no, I, mean, um, I, 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 no, I, 
I thought it was great. So moving on, uh, we Kimberly has a vision of a van, a white van plunging into the river, and the policeman actually says, like, there was a pregnant woman in a white van, but she never came to the station. So I don't, like, I don't have her details. I don't know who the fuck she is. And so they realize if she gives birth, it could save them all. It could fucking fuck up death's design based on what uh, Tony Todd says. So the next scene is the meeting. Uh, Kimberly has arranged a meeting of all the survivors. Now she knows a little bit more about what's going on. She's got clear. She's got the policeman. Let's just work this shit out. So she starts explaining the situation to all the survivors. And I thought it was funny. She gives them all phones. She gives them all 2003, like, Nokia, like, fucking brick phones. And then she <laughs> says, if she, I thought that was funny. And then she says, if she calls and says subway, stay away from the subway. Um, my first thought with that was, oh my God, that's going to fucking take eight. Okay. There's like nine people there. Right. And so she's got to log all their phone numbers into her phone, which is fine. And then what if she has a vision of a subway? She's like, all right, let's call this guy first. She calls them. Okay. Now she's got to call someone else. Wouldn't it be way better? Like WhatsApp group text. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. 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 But here's the thing. In 2003 kids, those phones, those keyboards were plastic. And when you, when, when we were kids, if we wanted to text, a, you know, a sentence to somebody, we had to touch key, single keys multiple times to text out <laughs> single letters. So I go, oh yeah, there was no keyboard. Fuck no. If you wanted an A, you had to press it three fucking times to get an A. <laughs> yeah, so, oh my god. So, so yeah. So 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 I'm sitting there. I'm 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 sitting there going. Wait a minute. There has to be a more economical way to do this. Like she could have given, like, like she could have given them like two-way radios, right? Well, yeah, but like, what if they're like out of range? Yeah. Well, yeah. What if them's in another state? I mean, I get. Look, I understand the phone thing. I just thought, fuck. If you get a vision, you better make sure you call every single one of those people within like seconds. Also, also, also. Have we have we taken into consideration how long it would have taken her to program everybody into the phone? Oh my god, Pro- <laughs> <laughs> programming so a number into one of those Nokia phones is fucking what a nightmare. <laughs> but you know, yep. you know, you know, but you know, but that's besides the point. It was a it was a device that the writers thought that they needed to propel the story forward. Look, so, I liked it. Okay. It made sense for the time. It made sense. Yeah. But now okay. it would be like, okay. get in the WhatsApp group text. This yeah, is what's yeah. going get, on. Get in there. Get in there. Yeah. Fucking get in there so you can fucking text everybody at the same time. So anyway, the next scene, we see a cop uh, pull over the white van with the pregnant woman. And he's basically saying it's been reported stolen. So our cop who's helping had to report the van stolen in order to kind of like put an APB out on to find it. So they found that. Um, after that, we're back at the apartment with the survivors and the mum and the motorcyclist decide to leave. So the mum, like she just lost her son. So she's like, fuck this. Like I, I, there is nowhere I would like, like I would rather be somewhere else. I don't want to be here anymore. And the motorcycle guy is like, yeah, like he doesn't believe any of this shit. So they decide to leave and they get in the lift and they get in the lift with a guy, an old guy holding a basket of like mannequin arms with hooks on the end. So anyway, they get in the lift and there's a guy holding a basket of mannequin and there's hooks in the end coming out of this like basket. And she, 
So she gets a she gets a call because one of the survivors in the apartment sees it. He thinks he sees a sign. There's some guy with hooks, and so Kimberly calls the mum in the the lift and says, "Look, oh no, the policeman does." And he's like, "There's a guy with hooks that's going to kill you." And she's she's turned around. She's like, "Oh my god, this guy's holding a hand of these these arms with hooks." So she kind of goes to walk out, but her hair gets caught in one of the hooks. So, but she thinks that he's the guy holding the basket has actually like pulled her hair, but her hair is just like caught in one of the hooks. So she starts freaking out, and then the doors, the lift doors open. And she tries to get out, but she's struggling. And the guy that's holding the basket is struggling. And the guy that's with the motorcycle guy is trying to get her out. So she's freaking out. All she wants to do is get out. So she tries to step out of the lift and the lift closes like on her head, but it like doesn't squish her head or anything. It just closes. And then the lift starts going up, up, up. Now, listen, I don't know about 2003 American lifts, but here if there's anything like they've got like sensors. So if there's anything in the, in between the doors, the doors just automatically open and the lift doesn't go anywhere. So like that wouldn't happen. No, even in 2003, we had sensors too. That, 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 that death, that death is cool as it is because essentially she gets decapitated by a fucking elevator. Awesome. Yeah. But, but, but another thing that, another thing that I was saying, all she had to do was fucking stay still. Stay yeah. still, stay still for th- 30 seconds. But you know why she didn't? Because the policeman called her freaking out saying, a guy with hooks is going to kill you. A guy right. with hooks, you know. And so she fucking freaked out. And because right. her hair got caught, she was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. So I understand why she freaked out. So anyway, her head's stuck. The elevator starts going up and her head gets squished. And she gets, you know, head pops off. And, yeah, look, it's not the best death I've ever seen. No. But you kind of feel bad. Because, like, you know, she was nice. Like, she was a nice character, and now she's her fucking heads off. Yeah. Um, of anything the, to say yeah. about that scene? No, of all the, you know, of all the characters, I think, you know, I think um, uh, my favorite characters in this script are the the main girl, Kimberly, and the mom. Also, I really like uh, the stoner guy, the guy that stores heroin. I think that they, I think that they do a really good job of making us care about these individuals that we're going to see die in gruesome ways. When they die, we actually care. And that is, that is screenplay writing 101. And I just really appreciated that about this movie. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. So the next scene, the call, the call. The call gets a cop. The cop gets a call. <laughs> oh my god! Fuck did you say the cop? Did you say the cop gets a call? I'm sorry. The call gets a. Well, I I oh was about god. to read it. The call gets a cop, but I like no. It's the cop gets a call. See, my writing's just so fucked. The cop gets a call that they found the white van, um, and then the motorcycle guy because he's back in the apartment now. He's just witnessed this woman's head fucking being lopped off by the the elevator, so he's freaking out. He pulls out a gun and he puts it to his head and he pulls the trigger six times and it just goes click 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 and there's nothing happens and Kimberly says you don't have it loaded and he's like yeah so the cop grabs the gun and he checks and the six bullets in the chamber but the reason it didn't go off it's not his turn yet which I love because death is like we want you but not right now we want them first (laughs) I love that no no I'm telling you what did I say I said death is a fickle bitch (laughs) Fickle bitch, fickle bitch, 100%. 
Um, so the next scene we see the pregnant woman and she's in jail because the that poor cop has been instructed to put her in jail um, because they think she stole the van and she's just like going, why the fuck I'm pregnant? Like, do you think that I'm capable of fucking grand theft auto? Like, come on. And he's like, well, I can't do anything. But anyway, her water breaks because she's pregnant and the cop freaks out and there's no police car. And she says, look, we, can we take my van? You need to drive me to the hospital. I'm having the baby. And he freaks out. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay. So they're on their way to the hospital. The next scene is, um, I, I, I actually really, I love this scene. It's, it's a bit, I don't know. It was a bit complicated to write down. So I have to just kind of remember it. The survivors are in a car. They're in the car and they find out that oh, they have way. all, it's great because it connects everything to the first movie. It's beautiful yes, writing yes 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 i yes i'm not going to say anything about the scene because that's exactly what i want to say go go on go on so they all find out they've all had near-death experiences that are connected to the survivors who are now dead of flight 180 and i was like they've it was just like yeah it was a brilliant brilliant scene and if they never got if these people never got off the flight all of them all of these people would be dead right now. So, and you sit there and you've kind of got to think about it, but weirdly enough, it makes sense. So it's basically, it's caused because those people in the beginning, like in the first movie got off of flight 180 and because they didn't die when they were supposed to, even though eventually they did, it's caused a ripple effect that basically fucked up death's design. So now death is like, we have to put everything back in order but where it's kind of like chaotic. Um, That scene was fantastic. I love the fact that the writer, it connected everything to the first movie and it made sense. Unlike other movies we've watched that make no sense. I love that scene. What did you think of it? Oh, well, well, look, I'm only going to say two things about the scene because Dean basically said everything that I wanted to say. Death is trying to balance the scales and it's cause and effect. And mm. I, I really loved the way that the, the way that the writers constructed this. It, it was smart. It was intelligent. And it also made you understand that these characters in the van were on borrowed time. Mm. Mm. That they, mm-hmm. that they weren't supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so that, that also gives this film a a a a, a eerie worldly qual eerie worldly quality. I mean, le- I mean, I mean. Let's take out the fact that death is actually stalking these people. Let's take that out. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. these people, these people weren't a part of the universe's equation. So yep. death is trying to correct the universe in a way. Yep. Yep. Beautifully said. That was great. Uh, so after, well, not after that scene, it's kind of a continuation. There's a tire blowout and they swerve off the road into like a, like a farm field. Um, and then the motorcyclist kind of has a punctured lung. And so they call an ambulance and he gets hauled off to the hospital. And there's a young boy that comes up and tries to kind of help them out. Their family tries to help them because, uh, Kat, the one in the suit from the beginning, she's trapped in the, 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 cause she was, she was driving, she's trapped in, in the car. They can't get her out. So they've got to call kind of the, I don't know, whoever they fucking call to get her out of the car. Fire department. Fire department. Thank you. Um, so there's a, I, okay. Um, 
This was just so, stupid. I'm like, I'm like, fire this guy. Sorry, but you know, get yeah. There, get so there. the so basically, um, the young boy's there and he's trying to help them, and a van nearly hits him, and the cocaine guy basically pushes him out of the way, saying, "Hey, dude, like you got to watch yourself." And the young boy's like, "Oh my god, thank you, thank you so much." Um, so now there's a news van that shows up. Why is a news van there? Who called them, and how did they get there so quickly? Uh, I have no idea. The only way that I can figure that out is that the news, the, uh, the news station had a chopper in the air. Like there's no, like, like there is no way in physical hell that in 2003, a news van can get there that quickly. But is that newsworthy though? Any, anything that is going to make their audience stay on the channel is worthy to them. Right. So after the news van shows up, it basically hits, it backs into like a rock and then fuel starts leaking. And of course, Kat's still trapped in the car. And so the, 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 the firefighters show up and they're trying to like, they have to get the door off the car. They're trying to drill it off, drill it out. And she's like, can you be like more quiet? Like with the drill? And he's like, yeah, I'll just like turn it down to like quiet mode. Yeah, so he he basically thrusts this jaws of life into the side of the door, causing the airbag to go off, causing her head to like thrust back. And oh. behind her, there's actually like a pole that's gone through the windshield, and it basically just impales her. More. And it's like, whoops, whoopsie. <laughs> <laughs> um. More. So anyway, the co- <laughs> there's a there's a funny conversation between the cocaine guy and Kimberly, and he's like, "Oh, is it going to hurt when I die?" And she's like, "I don't, I don't know." And he's like, "Look, he's like, can you take my keys and my wallet and everything?" And she's like, "Okay." And he goes, "Can you tell? Can you like what is? Uh, can you like wipe all the like the like the porn off my computer and like get all the shit out of my house? I don't want my my, my mom to know." And she's just like, "Oh, yeah, that's fine." And he's like, "Okay," and you kind of feel sorry for him. You kind of you know what I mean? Like they've said he's. There's not a lot known about his character, but yes, he's a he's a cocaine guy, but he's not stupid. Like he's not an idiot. You can see he loves his mom, and he's like, I don't want my mom to know I did all these bad things. And you're like, oh, that's so sweet. So anyway, um, the fuel from the news van ignites the fuel, ignites the fucking I don't know. There's like a propane tank or something. It ignites that, and it pushes it forward there's like an explosion and then one of the farming um fences comes flying at him and basically goes straight through him and his head is severed off and his torso is severed off and he kind of comes off in three pieces i that's my favorite death ps i think that that looks super fucking cool yeah uh, yeah that 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 was really cool so the next scene uh, we're at the hospital and the woman in the van, she's giving birth. She gives birth. And what I find funny about this scene is Kimberly and the policeman like run into the room where she's giving birth. And I'm like, you can't just have random people like running in to like when someone's giving birth. Like you can't, I don't know where they think, I don't know. That was just a bit weird because it's like a sterile environment, right? Yeah, that does not happen here. Yeah, so anyway, they just wanted to see, oh, the baby's okay, it survived, and then it's like, yay, happy ending. Everyone's like, oh, my God, we made it. Do you know what movie you're in? No, you didn't fucking make it. You didn't make nothing, okay? You're in a Final Destination movie. Final Destination movies often do not have fucking happy endings. So, no, everybody's happy, happy, happy. 
And then Kim has a vi- Kimberly has a vision of the van going into the lake. And she realizes that the woman wasn't like the woman that was pregnant. She wasn't actually meant to die in the pileup because in her vision, she, we didn't actually see the pregnant woman die. She was not in her vision at all. And so you're like, oh, she wasn't meant. So that baby was going to be born regardless. So now fucking back to square one, like, okay, only new life can reverse death's design. So it's like, if it's not the baby, like, what is it? So this scene was, maybe you have to explain it to me. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. I don't know. So the motorcycle guy is on like, I don't know, oxygen, I guess. I'm Um, He's on a he's on a ventilator and Clea is like after this is so happy. Oh my god, I gotta go check on like Eugene, which is like the motorcycle guy. And she goes down yeah, I know. So she goes down the hallway looking for him, and as soon as she opens the door to his room, there's a huge explosion, killing mm. him, killing her, pushing Kimberly and the policeman back. What the fuck? She op- she opened the door. She didn't touch like how did it how did the explosion actually like happen but i don't know how that fucking happened i feel like i missed something yeah (laughs) but anyway yeah yeah i must have missed something too because it 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 just doesn't make sense no so after that scene where clear dies uh which was unfortunate the motorcycle guy dies kimberly realizes um she has to die to save everybody so if she dies it's going to fuck up the whole design so basically she she's going to drive the van into the river and i thought to myself god that's that's epic you want to die let's i'm going to drive a van into a fucking river and drown myself but then i realized the whole intention of it was to be brought back so and people that have drowned can actually be brought back so to me yeah it's logical that she would i don't know why she drove the van why wouldn't she just jump in the river and sink to the bottom i don't know she has she to like take to. a van with her she had to she she had to be in the van why? Because, because, because I, I, I really, I really like how before she actually, she before she actually said in order to fix all this or to put it on pause, I have to do this, and before mm. she did that, again the writer made the character really, really smart and made her figure out exactly what she had to do by by sort of showing us flashbacks of everything, right? Mm-hmm. So she kind of, so she kind of re rejiggered death's death's original plan and says no if i do this i will give death what they want which is death wants me to die so i'll Mm. die but death doesn't say anything about bringing me back to life death just wants me to die but you know but you know but but uh but but nowhere in death's contract does it said does it say it has to be permanent yeah which i love i love because it's like oh yeah like, why didn't they think of that in the first film of like, yeah, you can, you can die, but it doesn't say anything about bringing you back, which, so I thought that was quite clever, yeah, actually. Yeah, and yeah, and also I love the way that the writer uh, sort of misled us, thinking that the doctor that was going to deliver the baby was not going to be able to, and that was going to be the inciting incident that basically fucked everyone, and that was going to be the mm-hmm. last straw that led everyone that that led everyone to their actual deaths right and movie over but i really like that um in actuality this doctor or the premonition of the doctor was not the doctor who couldn't save the baby but this is a doctor that uh saved kimberly and brought her back to life yes 
um, what I thought was funny was the name of the doctor, Dr. Kalajian. And I'm like, that's got to be the writer's like aunt's name or something. Because there's no way you would make a doctor's name like Kalajian. Like, that's just really like, I don't know. I felt like that would like, you know, do you know what I mean? It was just a bit like complicated. Yeah. That, yeah. That's like, uh, that's like me sticking, you know, uh, you know, the, the name of somebody I know into one of my scripts. Like, that doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, she drowns. Dr. Kalajian brings her back to life. She's in hospital. She's fine. Um, everybody's, you know, fucking happy. So it. this is the last scene. We go to the next scene and they're having like a barbecue and at, in the backyard of the family and the boy um, that tried to help them when they kind of swerved into the farm. So they're like, oh, this is great and stuff. And so the boy goes to check on the barbecue, which is like, I don't know, I don't know why the barbecue is like 30 feet away, but okay. So the boy goes to check on the barbecue and then the family say that the the cocaine guy actually saved their son's life in the field because he was about to get hit by a car and then Kimberly and the policeman kind of both look at each other like, oh, fuck. And then the boy. I'll tell you you why. I think it's like 30 feet away. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's why I was 30 feet away. And then there's this huge explosion on the, uh, with the barbecue, the boy explodes, um, and killing, obviously killing the boy. And then his severed arm falls in front of his mum on his mum's plate. And she kind of screams and it was like the end. That's the end of the movie. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, what such a, such a fun fucking movie, man. Such a great movie. I love this movie. I love it so much. All right. Do you want to go to your favorite part? Trivia? Trivia. Okay. Weirdly enough, trivia was really fucking difficult to find on this movie. I wouldn't really? think that, but it yeah, it was really to find substantial, like good trivia was fucking weird. It was hard. Uh, so the first one is in the original script for Final Destination 2, Alex is actually alive. Alex and Clear survive. Um but Devon actually couldn't return to, due to scheduling conflicts, so they had to kill his character off. But what, what was he doing? I, I'm sorry. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But I just I, – I, the one thing I absolutely despise in Hollywood is when they say an actor couldn't do this scheduling conflicts because it's usually not. It's usually based on that, other shit, and scheduling conflicts is just a way to get out of doing something. <laughs> that – excuse me. No, scheduling conflicts is the biggest BS line in the industry. So, so guys, so guys, <gasps> if you ever read that in any trades like Deadline, The Hollywood Reporter, or BS. anywhere, scheduling conflict is a big red flag. Going BS bullshit. It's BS That's because it. Final Destination was a massive hit. What could he have been doing that he couldn't? And to be honest, the Final Destination two people probably would have worked around his schedule. Because, yeah, you know, they would have had more people see the movie he was in it. So, obviously, something happened and he didn't want to do another one. And, obviously, maybe he had a fight with someone. Maybe he didn't want to go back to the shoot. Who knows? But, yeah, yeah schedule, like Marcelo said, when you hear a celebrity say scheduling conflicts, that's a bunch <laughs> of bullshit. bullshit. You know shit's going down behind the scenes. That's a bunch of bullshit. Um, so, in the original version of the script, Kimberly and the police officer actually, like, had a love thing going on. But wisely, the writer decided to take that out because they were like, nah, I don't know if that's going to work. I like that they take it out, took it out because I didn't, I wasn't into that at all. No, also, also, even, even, the, you know, uh, they took that out, but, you know, 
the hints of a r- romantic relationship is there throughout the film. Like, like you didn't, like you, kind, didn't yeah, need, kind of, ki- kind of, kind of, but, but yeah, the, it's kind the, of there. The hints of a potential romantic relationship is there, and I, you know, I think that it it, it was a good idea for the writer of the film to sort of take that out and stick to bare bones and stick to just what what is most important you, like like mm, yeah, like if yeah. you're going to like 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 if you're going to put something into a script mm. please make sure that you absolutely need it and make sure yeah. that it's in the it's in the script to push the story forward if it's not yeah. there if it's if it's there just for cannon fodder don't mm. do that the last trivia i have I don't know if you knew this. I'm I don't know. Sometimes I think you know things and then you're like, "What? I didn't know it." But I don't know. I feel like I feel like maybe this is something you would have known. The idea for Final Destination, like the the actual like film like the story behind all the Final Destination films. The idea for the Final Destination film came from a 1994 spec script for the X-Files. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank God. So the writer actually never submitted it. But yep. someone that read it was like, oh, this would be a great, like, movie. <laughs> Let's do that. So good. So glad they did that. Mm-hmm. And damn you, Chris Carter. Well, thank you, Chris Carter. You gave me Final Destination. And yeah, exactly. I just, want, I just want to say I love Chris Carter. All right. I know. I know. I know. Um, what, That's all I've got for trivia. But I did want to mention one thing. Kimberly as a character. Do you notice we know nothing about her? She doesn't have strengths. Or weaknesses. The only thing she has is the visions. She actually has zero character development. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, she has and no the, arc. No, no, and the other thing, but but the other thing is that her father is kind of introduced at one point, but then he disappears. So I'm like, mm. do you like 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 you had you had the worst parent in history, right? Because we meet him mm. for like a second, and then we never see him again. Yeah, uh, the, we see him. We see him on like sitting on the couch, like watching the news, but he never says anything. And I was just like, "Oh, look, Final Destination Two is great, but there's no like Final Destination Three. There's actually character development in the protagonist, but in this one, I've just noticed it now. There's like not. No, but I think I think Kimberly, Kimberly, when you really break it down, and when you really break it down to brass tacks, she is a character that that was specifically engineered to work within the story that she was chosen to inhabit. And if, and if, and if you take her out of that, or if you try to expand on her lineage to make the audience care about her anymore, Mm. it might not work. And the reason why Mm. it works is because we care. We want Kimberly to, to survive because of the awful situations that she is being put in. Mm hmm. Yep. So, so yeah, so, so the writer decided to do, to, to service the story rather than the character. And in this one instance, it worked because it did work. It did because the overall situation was big enough, but if the overall situation wasn't big enough, it wouldn't have worked. I completely agree with you. I had no issue with her not having a character arc because she's likable. I did not want her to die. So right, that worked. But yeah, you're right. Some things, if the story is big enough, you kind of don't need that character development. But if the story isn't big enough, you need the char- you need it to be character driven. And this 
movie was kind of not character driven. It was story driven. So you're absolutely bang on about that. Is there anything else you want to say about the movie before I wrap it up? Uh, no, I, no, you know, I just think that this movie was a lot of fun. I haven't, I, I haven't seen this movie in decades. So it was just, it was just really fun to revisit a movie from my childhood. And I wish they made movies like this nowadays, but they sadly don't do that. No, they don't. But we've got what? 30, 40 years of of movies that they did make like that. So anyway, we're going to wrap it up, guys. If you would like to email us, you can email us at themixtapepod at aol.com. If you like this episode, please like, please please subscribe. We're on Spotify. We're on all podcast platforms. We're on YouTube. We're on everything. If you would like to request we review a movie, please email us at themixtapepod at aol.com. Next week, we have the wonderful comedy The Burbs starring Tom Hanks, and we really hope that you enjoy that episode. So remember, guys, if anyone is kind enough to make you a mixtape, they must mean that must mean that they really love you. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.